How many of you guys are still full from Thanksgiving? Right? Full from leftovers. Uh, one of my favorite things of Thanksgiving is the leftover turkey sandwiches the next day or later that day or maybe even right after I finish Thanksgiving meal. Um, going right to the sandwiches. But now that we're fully past Thanksgiving, I think it's appropriate for you guys to start celebrating Christmas. Um, so, you know, last week we talked about how some people get ahead of themselves. Well, now it's okay. So how many of you guys have your trees up already? Yeah, I, we don't have ours up yet. We haven't really been home, but that's the plan for like this week. I am not much of a traditionalist. Um, I mean, just look at me. But there's something about Christmas season that makes me enjoy traditions. Whether it's however you decorate your home or maybe the specific day you do it or who, who you do it with. Maybe it's the food you bake through the Christmas season or the specific gatherings you do with families. Maybe it's stories that you read or the Christmas movies that you choose to watch with your family. I, I don't know what your tra tra traditions are, but I love the traditions through Christmas time, especially you know what happens on Christmas morning and how you go about opening your presents or reading the, the Christmas story or what you eat for breakfast. For, for me, most traditions have to do with food. Um, and, uh, but I love that. And so one thing, I, I'm also not somebody who's about traditions for tradition's sake. To me, there has to be a good reason behind it. And, and it makes, you know, and it's for you too, like you, you don't just do them because you do them. There, there's something about it. It's the meaning behind the traditions that makes it important. And, and to me, Advent is a tradition that just last year was really something that um, I saw happening at some other churches and at a church we visited, and I was like, this is something, a tradition that I want to be a part of, a tradition that I want to hold to, and there's some reasons for it. Um, now, we are doing this traditional Advent thing, but also as me not being a traditionalist, it's probably not going to look like how you've done it somewhere else before. Um, we're probably going to do some different twists and things on it. But I love this tradition because it's something that goes back to the early Christians of the, the early centuries. And when we get to partake in Advent in the same structure that they used back then, we're participating in something that's been around for hundreds of years. And I think that that's really cool that we can go back to kind of our roots as a Christian and continue something that, that goes deeper than, you know, just in today's world. But one of the other reasons I love it is that churches all over the world are doing this same series with us. And that... You know, we, we sometimes forget that we're part of this big global church, right? That, that we're full of many different traditions, many different languages and people, and somehow all over the world, they're focusing on these same topics in their languages and their cultures, and we get to participate with Big C Church, right, the, the worldwide church, when we do this series. And I love that. I love that we get to be a part of that. And I think that God loves when we're a unified church, and when he looks out at the world and we're all focused on the same thing at the same time. Now, the Advent season is a four-week period leading up before Christmas, and it celebrates the anticipation and the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The origin of the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply translates to the coming or the arrival. Not only is the Christian meaning for preparation and celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ, that his, like his birth at Christmas, but it also celebrates the new life when someone accepts Jesus into their hearts and as their savior. And lastly, it anticipates the coming of Jesus, his return again. We talk often in church about Jesus being the reason for the season. 
But often we really don't take the time during this season to really fully embrace that. Right? Maybe we read the story of Jesus' birth on Christmas and we, we sing some Christmas songs and about half of them maybe actually talk about something to do with the Bible and Jesus. You know, All I want for Christmas you know, is not Jesus. You know, um, there, I read this meme last night that was like, do you know that Mariah Carey says, oh, no, I'm just blanking on what it was. Yeah, I don't want a lot for Christmas, but then she reveals that it's just you. You know, and it's like, wow, that's kind of rude. Um, you know, I'm not a lot, but that's all I want for Christmas. So, but really in this season time, we, we think of being Jesus the reason for this season, but how much time do we actually spend focused on him and not on the presents, not on the gifts we're buying, on shopping and, and unwrapping and, and cooking through this time and season? You know, I know people that start buying Christmas gifts immediately after Christmas, or maybe even the Black Friday sale for the following Christmas. Like, they, they know where they're going, and how much time and preparation goes into one day of Christmas or one fam family gathering. But how much time do you actually spend throughout the year anticipating Jesus' coming? What, what it meant for him to show up here and, and the different things that happened in your life because of him. Let alone, what do we do in this four-week period from Thanksgiving to Christmas, are you taking time in there to really prepare your heart, to really sit back and, and dwell on who is this Jesus and what does it mean that he came and that he's coming again and that currently right now he is in my life? So may you find time to slow down in this Christmas season, to say no to the things that distract you from Jesus and say yes to the gift that God wants you to experience. Today, we're going to focus on hope. As I mentioned before, the word Advent means arrival. This season is a period of active waiting and anticipation for Christmas. We're celebrating the Lord being given to us, but also his promise for him to come again and restore all things. Our world is kind of a mess. And by kind of a mess, I mean it's really just a mess, right? I don't care what side of, of things that you fall politically or your beliefs or where you want to blame the mess coming from. I think we can agree that the world is a little bit messy. And if there's any time in history that we should be anticipating the return of Jesus to come and make things all new, to restore all things, now is the time. And that's the hope that we get to cling to because he's here now. There's a, there is that future moment where he's going to come and restore all things. But Jesus is here restoring things today in us. And we have that hope, and we should be spreading that hope to the world around us. Hope is anticipating a future that is better than the present. But here's the thing about hope. It's actually found in waiting. Without waiting, you can't have hope because you already have it. Right? If there wasn't the waiting time, the anticipation of hoping for the better to come, if you're, that means you're already living in the better. And there, there is no hope. Two of the Hebrew words for hope directly translate to waiting. Active waiting. Another one says the tension found in uh, the desire for better things. It talks about kind of like an elastic cord being pulled on both ends, and that tension is the waiting. Right, for better things to come while still living in the hard place. You're kind of stuck there. That is what hope is. And so today we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, from the book of Joshua. In this book, we find this amazing story of the city of Jericho being conquered by the Israelites, God's people. 
And they were kind of the underdogs throughout these, this situation. They come upon Jericho, it was this large fortified city, had massive walls, thick walls, tall walls, all the way around. And God led them to conquer this city in kind of a crazy way. God told them to go and walk around this city one time a day for seven days, singing praise songs with their band. The band led, they walked around this city that they were going to come conquer and sang songs. But on the seventh day, they're going to do a little bit different, and they're going to walk around seven times. And at the end of the seventh time they walked around, they were all supposed to shout at the top of their lungs. And then the walls would fall down, and they conquered the city. And that's exactly what happened. They, they got there on the seventh day, they shouted, the walls of the city fell down, and then they went in and conquered the city. Man, this makes for a great story of God's provision, his miraculous provision in people's lives. And that alone is a reason to hope in him. But today I want to focus on another story that's found within this that often gets overlooked because, I mean, this is a great story, right? How often does a city get conquered by some people yelling? But there's a better story, I think, or I don't know, at least there's an equal story about the prostitute named Rahab that lived in Jericho. In Joshua chapter 2, before this city was conquered, before they had a plan, before all this stuff happened, um, the Israelites, God people, came into the area of Jericho. And they knew that they were supposed to overtake this land. And so Joshua, who was their leader, sent two spies into the city. And they were spying around, doing what spies do, trying to figure out, is there a weakness? How are we going to get into this? And all of a sudden, they, um, the word started spreading that there were spies in the midst. And so the leaders, the, the army of Jericho was out looking for them, and they needed a place to hide. And that happened to be in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. It says some of the military came to Rahab and they demanded that she takes them to the spies. And she told them that they left before it got night and she, she protected them and she sent um, the military out into, outside of their walls, out into the forest to go find them. When instead she actually hid the two spies on the roof of her house. And she went up there to talk to them after she sent the army out. And in Joshua 2 verse 8 we find these verses. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Right? And through this, I just want to point out some things about hope. And the first thing I want to point out is that God allows desperate situations so we can come to know him and depend on him, to place our hope in him. Rahab knew all the stories. The, the, the gossip of what was happening from the Israelites conquering city after city had made it their way to Jericho. And she had known all these stories of what the Israelites had done before and what was going to happen to them. And I think she agreed to hide these spies because she decided to put her hope in a God she did not yet know because her situation was getting pretty desperate. She understood this city is going to be conquered and I don't want to be somebody who dies. And she was brought to a place where she put her hope in God. Right? I love that in verse 11 it says, um, for the Lord your God is the supreme God. 
Right? She literally says, your God. Like, that's not my God. I don't fully believe in that God yet. But, but what I do understand is, for some reason, that God's a little bit bigger than my situation. When God brings you into desperate situations, he will go far to get you to find him. That's his goal, is to build relationships with you. And so he lets us get to desperate situations where all we can do is turn to him. Right? You probably have friends who don't believe in God. But when life gets desperate, they say, hey, do you mind saying a prayer for me? Right? You see them all of a sudden pray, maybe. Because things get desperate and people turn to God. He becomes people's last glimpse of hope. Now, life is about God and only him. And sometimes things around us need to get sifted out a little bit so all that remains is God. Even if God is not your God right now, he might be doing that to you because he wants you to come to know him. There's a story in the New Testament of Jesus and Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. And Jesus brings him back from the dead. And in this story, Jesus had been sent a message that his friend Lazarus was sick. But he was off doing some ministry. And he did not turn and head back home right away. And in that meantime, Lazarus died. And Jesus waited until Lazarus was all the way dead, it says in Scripture. When he shows up there, it, he was dead for four days. Now, at the time, there's this thought that um, for three days after someone's, someone died, their spirit maybe still dwelled close by. So raising someone from the dead when their spirit's close by is not quite a big of a deal. I don't know. How many of you guys have seen Princess Bride? And they're like, he's not all the way dead. And they pump some air in him, you know, and they squeeze him. He still mumbles some stuff out. It was something kind of like that, but not quite. And um, so when Jesus shows up, he's all the way dead. He's not mostly dead. All right, and this, like, this brought Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who were the ones who sent Jesus a message to a place where there was no more hope. Right? He was all the way dead. There's nothing Jesus can do now. And they, they, you know, Jesus shows up, and they're like, maybe you can do something, but I'm not so sure. When things start feeling as if there's no hope, that that situation will resolve on its own. I think God often moves in some sort of way to remind me that he's the hope. I think we, there's something else I want to point out in this story of Lazarus. Is that this is where we find the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I think it's good to note that in Lazarus' situation, even though Jesus knew that he was going to bring him back to life, Jesus wept. For Lazarus, he wept for Mary and Martha. He wept for all of his friends that were suffering through this time. And this is so that we can remember that God does allow us to come to desperate places, but it doesn't mean it's easy for him. It doesn't mean that he finds joy in that, but he hurts with us, that he weeps with us in those moments until the full hope can be restored. If we jump back to the story of Rahab, you know, it, it Rahab asks for help. She goes, hey, I know that the city is going to fall. Things are going to happen. Can you help me? Can you promise something to me? And they agree in verse 15. They say, yep, we're going to do something. In verse 15, it says, then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. She told them, escape to the hill, hill country and hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, 
You must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. And if they go into the street and be killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The second thing we can learn about hope from the story is that hope is strengthened by times of waiting. In the story of Lazarus, his sisters Mary and Martha, like I said, they waited for a week for Jesus to show up and do something. But in that time of waiting, Lazarus died. How many of you have been waiting for God to answer a prayer request or or waiting to change a situation in your life? And while you're waiting, you just watch things get worse. Has that ever happened to you? I know this happened in my life. Now, there was at least a week, and actually probably longer, between when Rahab let those spies down out her window and they showed back up. And then even when they showed up, they just walked around the city for a whole nother week. Can you imagine how Rahab must have felt? Knowing that the end of her city was imminent, it was happening, it was coming, and she was supposed to stay in her house Because if she left, and at any moment that they came and conquered, her promise is no longer secure for her. You know, so she had to be trapped in there. You know, at least she didn't have, like, a normal day job. I don't know, as a prostitute, can you work from home? I'm not sure, but um, I don't know what it looked like at that time, okay? But all I know is that in this time of waiting, I'm sure life, like, she wanted her life to return back to normal. Right, could you imagine being with all of your family cooped up in your house for that amount of time? How many of you guys had family over for Thanksgiving? Right, and you were like, man, one half of a day was enough, you know, and, and she had them all, and they couldn't go outside. I bet there was times where she was like, so the promise is if they go outside, they get killed. Is that the better? No, no, okay, they, could, they should stay inside. You know, we'll, we'll make this happen, but they don't understand. You know, they didn't meet with the spies. They probably didn't believe the way that she believed in this other God. They probably constantly fought her for, why won't you just let us go? Why won't you let us go? And she's like, you don't understand. You got to stay. And she's dealing with all this grumbling. She's waiting. And every day I picture her looking out her window. You know, maybe it's at her morning or afternoon tea. And she's staring out the window and she's like, when are they coming? What is going on with this promise? She, you know, there was no communication. There wasn't a text like, hey, God just revealed the plans. We're going to be marching around the city. Just to FYI, keep you up. She has no communication with them. Look at your life and how many hard situations you've been in and been through. We all have stories, you know, of all these awesome things that God's done. Right? We, we have it in the Bible. We hear it from each other. Yet often in those hard times, we want to try and solve things ourselves, right? We put our hope in the situation instead of in the person. I know that in my life, I've been waiting for God at times to move and things get worse. And I start to believe maybe God's no longer in the business of helping people. And I feel that Rahab had to have gotten to that same point. Especially when she sees him show up and the plan is marching around the city, right? Man, what kind of hope did I put this in, like? Now they're just like a marching band. Like, I thought they were going to come conquer this city. 
I've risked my life. I've risked my reputation with my family on this. And this is what's happening. I want to let you guys know that hope is not optimism. Optimism is looking to the pieces of the situation to improve. And hoping that, you know, well, if this just changes a little bit, it'll get better. Being positive that the situation will work itself out. Hope, instead, is looking to the person, to the one who can improve all situations. Hope is not a situation. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Waiting is not easy or comfortable at times, but it involves more than just sitting around. We need to take action during our times of waiting, and that's what Advent is about. Martha ran out of her house to meet Jesus when he showed up and told him, you know, if you had just come when I first told you, all of this wouldn't have happened. And she kind of yells at him a little bit, but then she goes, but I do have a glimpse of hope that maybe you can still do something. Right? Sometimes the action that we need to take is just complaining to Jesus. Why didn't you come when I first prayed? Why haven't you changed this situation yet? Because I think we got to get it out sometimes to get past it. And then we could say, okay, God, but I know that you're still probably the only one who can do something. And that's what he's looking for from us, that, that desperate hope, that, that look to him of you are the only one that can change my life. Right? Rahab had the promise of being saved and rescued, but it would only come if she hung the red cord on her window of her house and she stayed inside. Right? Those aren't much actions, but they were actions she had to take that were depending on her life. And I think she, every time she looked out that window, she saw that red cord hanging there and reminded of the promise. Now, there's something I find really awesome about the word in Hebrew that they use for that, that rope. And that word is tikva. And it was used more often as the word for hope or expectation. Right? 32 times through our scripture, when the word tikva was there, they translate it as hope or expectation. Only two times, and it's in this specific story, is it translated over to the word for cord or string or rope. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that they use that word. When we take action during our time of waiting, it is an act of hope. So many times we're in a hopeless, desperate time. And through our friends, maybe through our Bibles, through prayer times, God gives advice. He gives us steps to take. And sometimes they seem kind of pointless. But we know, like, we know they're not going to change the situation. But we need to take action. Sometimes they're just as simple as, wait here for me to show up. Right? In Acts chapter 2, Jesus died. He rose again. He wandered around on earth again with his people. And then he's taken to heaven in Acts 1. And he tells them, you know, imagine his followers who had been following Jesus around for all these years. And all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. And they're like, what are we supposed to do? And their action of hope in that moment was, go to the upper room and wait. That's what Advent is about. So let's jump ahead to Joshua 6.20. So between Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, God reveals the plans to go march around the city. They start marching. They do all their days. And now at uh, chapter 6, verse 20, we're on the seventh day. They've marched around seven times. And they're on the very last time. In verse 20, it says, When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into town and captured it. 
They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise and go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and they brought Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house, because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. The third thing about hope is that we can have hope because God is faithful to his promises. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life right, in front of so many people. A whole audience had showed up because, is this Jesus going to do something? They were all there to mourn Lazarus' death. They were friends. They had heard, you know, oh, Jesus is coming. What's going to happen? And because God is faithful to his plans and to us, it often looks a lot different than what we would expect it to look like. Right? In our eyes, why didn't Jesus show up and heal Lazarus before he ever died? But then we would never have this miraculous story. Many people would not have come to believe who Jesus was without Lazarus' death and being brought back to life within God's plan. Right? God is looking at big picture when often we can barely see anything outside of our own life. Right? We're pretty me-focused people, and we have a hard time seeing beyond the boundaries of what touches our lives. But God is often viewing, and often is always viewing, the whole world and he has a bigger purpose in mind. I'm going to bring something to your attention that I think is missed in the story of Rahab. When we look back at chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by rope through a window. Now, as the verse we just read in chapter 6, what happened when everybody yelled? The walls of Jericho collapsed. It was quite custom for people who were poor during this time to use the wall as part of their home. Now, this wall of Jericho particularly was really thick, and her house was built into the wall. Her rooms of her house were a part of this very wall, right? And we know that her house went through it because she let down the spies on the other side of the wall. So imagine that. Imagine being Rahab in this situation. Right? You're sitting there sipping your tea as you normally did. You know, you heard the marching band come, and, and so you went out to watch what's happening today. Is this the day? Is this the day that it's happening? You know, and you're sitting there sipping your tea, just watching, and all of a sudden they're marching around a few more times than normal. And you're like, oh, hey, they must have been rehearsing some new songs. You know, this is pretty nice. You know, it's better than that same one they've been playing all this week, you know, and finally something new. All of a sudden they start screaming. And so she sticks her head out the window like, what's going to happen, what now? And she sees a brick of the wall fly out and another brick, and another brick, and everything starts shaking and crumbling, and everyone inside is screaming, and everyone's screaming outside. It's just pure chaos, and, and it's all dust because they're in the middle of this desert, and it's just everywhere. She can't see anything that's happening, and everything is falling down around her. Do you think maybe she lost a little bit of hope of what was happening? You think she got a little bit afraid of the chaos? Do you think she's in there like trying to tell her family, hey, I think there's eight guys, you gotta stay inside. And they're like, you don't stay inside during an earthquake, I guess. That's what I just learned that being here. Uh, but they're, they're all freaking out. It's chaos all around her life. And I have a lot of questions about how did this happen? 
right? Did, did just a little piece of her wall stay standing? You know, like in cartoons when there's like an explosion and they're still standing on the piece of land and there's just like a little tiny strip of, of ground holding them up. Is that what it looked like? Did somehow her house, because we know it was on an upper level as she lowered people out her windows. Did her section just like float down while everything else was just crumbling and in chaos? You know, what I like to picture is because God is God that, that he reached out in the midst of all the craziness and he grabbed a hold of their house and he held them in his own hand and placed them on the ground because that's just the kind of God that he is. One of my life verses is 2 Timothy 2.13. And it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God is so faithful to us that even when we lose hope in his plan and we become faithless, he is still faithful because of who he is. Even when it seems impossible for us. He always goes above and beyond in his faithfulness to us. Rahab and her family were not just saved that day. They were brought into the family of God. It says they joined the Israelites and went with them for the rest of their lives. You know what's really crazy? In Matthew 1, 5, when he's listing the genealogy of Jesus, it lists Rahab the prostitute. It was not even a part of the Israelites. Rahab just wanted to be saved from death. But God went beyond that and brought her into his family. The fourth thing is that hope is for everyone. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. God's hope is for you. Rahab was, it literally lists Rahab the prostitute. Like, man, how annoying is that for Rahab still to this day? You know, she's like, it was one time. No, I, you know, I, I really... I'm assuming after she joined God's family, she got a new career. It doesn't say. But that was her identity. And it still is something she carries to this day. But it did not negate that God's hope was for her. That she was the one that saved the spies. That God put in that place specifically to save those spies to be brought into his family someday. Right? Her past and her lifestyle defined her and to everyone that knew her. But to God, she was just his daughter and someone that was worth saving. Whatever struggle you identify with, whatever is going on in your life, whatever other people see or say about you, it doesn't matter to God. Romans tells us that God sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. God knows all your struggles and he doesn't care. He wants to give you hope in this season. Now, where does this hope come from? 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Right? God, because of his great love for us, through the first coming of Jesus, gives hope. Hope comes from him. It can't come from anywhere else. It can't belong to anyone else because he is the only one who is fully in control of every situation, who holds all things together. And so only through him can there be true hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Now we live with great expectation. That expectation is still the word hope. We live with great hope because Jesus' death and resurrection because of God's mercy. In Matthew 1, 20 through 23, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. In verse 23, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus' name literally means the God who saves, or salvation. When we bring Jesus into our lives, we can find hope because he is the God who saves. He is that. It's not just something that he does. It is who he is as a being. He saves, and we can trust in him and put our hope fully in him that he will do who he is. Right? Not what he does, but who he is. And Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the God that is with you. He's the God that is with me. He's the God that is with us. Isaiah 42 says that his name will be the hope of the world. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I do know, as we talked about today, that God allows us to go through some seemingly hopeless situations sometimes. Hebrews 12 says that God can shake everything that can be shaken. And sometimes that's what life feels like. That everything you once knew, everything that was once comfortable to you is, is being shaken and crumbling down around you. Like Rahab's house when it was falling apart around her. Colossians 1.17 says that he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. When life is crumbling down around you, God will hold you. Right? It's not, we, we put our trust too much in, in things of the world around us. We put our, our trust and our hope in our money. We put our trust and our hope in our finance, our, our retirement, and our job, and our, our friends, and our family, and our homes that we have that feel so secure and safe. But God likes to shake those things up sometimes to remind us that he's the only thing that holds creation together. When life is crumbling down around you, Place your hope in God. Romans 5, 3-5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems or trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Hebrews 6, 18-20 says, So God has given us both his promise and his oath, And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. Could everyone just close their eyes? Headed into this season, I want to ask, do you need hope? Maybe a new hope? Maybe a a real anchor for your hope? Because maybe what you've been putting your hope in, you realize is not the anchor you were so confident in before. 
but you need one that you can be confident in, one that you can put your full trust in and a hope that does not disappoint. If that's you and you would like to invite hope into your life to bring Jesus into your life and accept him as your savior because he is the one who will save your life, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Put your hands down. I want to pray for you. God, we just thank you for the hope that you bring. God, that you sent your son Jesus to, to be hope for us, Lord. And I pray that, that today that we would walk out of here with renewed hope in everything that you are going to do. God, that we need to stop putting our confidence, even as Victoria was talking about, that where are we placing our trust today? Is it really in the God who saves? Is it really in the, the person who is hope? Or is it in the world around us? God, as we reflect on you in this Advent season, God, this week, would you remind us of, of what hope really looks like? God, even if that means bringing us to some desperate situations so that we turn to see true hope, that we would be restored, that our life would be changed, and that we would be able to sit back and remain faithful to you because you are always faithful. Because you cannot disown who you are. You are our God who saves. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the change you're going to bring in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Throughout Scripture, whenever they talk of hope, that comes from God, it's followed with our actions to receive hope. So if you raise your hand today, these are the actions you need to take in this time of waiting. It's first to believe, repent, and then tell someone. You have to believe in the hope, right? That this Jesus who came as a baby during Christmas season 2,000 years ago is the son of God, and that he lived a perfect life, and that he died to defeat sin, and by defeating death, he rose to new life, to bring you into his family like he did to Rahab and give you a hope for a better future. Secondly, you're called to repent. Now, repentance means change direction. Right? Scripture talks that we're all sinners. We're, we're born sinners. We, we naturally tend to want to sin. And now sin literally means missing the mark. It means that whatever direction we've been headed in is not the right mark. So when we repent from our sin, it means to just change our direction and try to no longer miss the mark but hit the mark. Now, the mark is living a life that looks like Jesus, right? And so maybe there's some things you know today that you need to adjust, some things you need to change today so that you can hit the mark, that you can start aiming for the hope that we have. You know, and one of the best ways to stay there is coming to church or getting into a Bible study plan or things so you can learn more about this Jesus and how to live like him. And lastly, the Bible says that we have to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord that we can be saved, that, that he became your Lord, that he is your Savior. So I wouldn't challenge you to tell someone before you leave here today that you made Jesus your Savior today. Um, on the Connect card in front of you is a box that you can check that says that you made a decision for Christ. And, um, or if you're online with us, you can click the Connect with us link and fill out that same box there and tell us that way. But here's something for all of us. Our hope is in two forms as Titus 2, 11 through 14 shares with us. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. 
We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. We have hope today that he is here with us, that he can change our lives today, that he has probably already changed your life, and that he is bringing hope into the world through us to everyone around us. But secondly, we have hope in his return when he comes to make all things new in the world that so desperately needs him. So this week, as we actively reflect and actively wait on Jesus, our focus will be on his hope that he has brought and the hope that he still has to bring. Now, before we end today, we're, we're going to do thing that, uh, a new thing that has to do with Advent. And um, there's kind of two different ways that we're going to focus on this Advent season and slowing down and reflecting on God. And the first is that we're doing, as Noah mentioned, a um, daily Bible reading plan together through this Advent season. And uh, we, we put it out on Facebook. It's in our Facebook group. It's uh, sent out an email this morning. But you can also scan the QR code on the card in front of you, on the Connect With Us card, and you can find the link for the Bible reading plan right there. It's through the YouVersion Bible app, and um, it's not a very long thing, probably five to ten minutes each day, that you can start off your day or end your day or whatever works in your time schedule, trying to slow down and reflect on Jesus during this season. Make him the reason for this season truly in your life. I think it would be really great if you are with your family to do it together. There's questions at the end of it. You can talk about them with each other, but you can also put them in the comments as you're going through the study so that we can reflect on this series together and work together in that. So please make time and uh, get on that and do that with us. And secondly, during service, um, we're going to have a short reading that's Advent focused, and it's just to help you kind of focus in on the, the point of today. And today was hope, but each day will have a each Sunday will have its own focus. And then we're going to have a special song that follows. And um, the song is not necessarily for praise time. It's for reflection. It's for meditating on this reason for the season. And today will be hope. So um, there's a family who's going to come up and read if Hector and let one to come up. And, um, and then there will be a song afterwards. And I want you just to sit and just soak and think about the words that were said. Lighting a candle in darkness helps us find a way. In darkness, we lose direction. We cannot see where we have been or where we are going. A single candle flickering brightly brings and helps us find our way. Today, we are light the first candle of Advent wreath. This candle is the candle of hope. With Christians around the world, we use this light to help us prepare our way and minds and hearts for the coming of our God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. May we receive God's light as we hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Isaiah 9 2. Psalms 82 and 3. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Light one candle, see it glow brightly so that we all may know 
how one candle shows the way making our darkness as bright as God's day. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. On this first Sunday in Advent, let this light shine brightly as the day grows shorter. Prepare our hearts for the joy and gladness of your coming, for Jesus is our hope. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen.
Let's pray. God, we just ask you to come, God, and bring hope into our lives, into our world around us, Lord. God, as we, we know that this world is in need of so much hope, God, and that we have, as uh, Paul wrote, that we have these treasures and these jars of clay in our lives, Lord, that, that we only know hope because of you, because you've given it, because you've allowed us to find it and see it in you, God. And would we take this hope to the world around us? God, through this season that's already so close to you focusing on you, I mean, this world that doesn't know you is celebrating the time of your birth. God, would we be hope? Would we be a light to the world? We'd be quick to share the hope that we have. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Under your seat before you leave here today is a, a ribbon. And I want you to take this as your cord of hope, to remember hope for this season. And take it home. You could tie it on your Christmas tree, put it around your doorknob. You know, do something that you'll see it throughout this season and be reminded of the hope and the promise that God has for you and for the people around you. Right? May you find time to slow down in this Christmas season and say no to the things that distract you from Jesus and say yes to the gift that God wants you to experience. Go and find your hope in Jesus today.